Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 um, is where we start. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. This belief um, in what they're being told, they're being told about God's word. This is God's word. And despite um, repeated attempts by the prophets to tell them what's going to happen, they do not believe the word. That, that is, this belief in the word of God is faith in and of itself. Um, we read about that in Hebrews um, chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So as these words are being preached, the people don't see them themselves, but those who have been chained, their hearts have been changed to believe these words, they are the ones who will believe them. And Habakkuk is, is challenging, he's telling them that they will not believe it. Um, because he knows that they have their hearts um, unregenerated. Uh, an example of this, of a man who had the heart that was um, regenerated to believe the words of God is Noah in Genesis chapter 6. So we read about this, Genesis chapter 6, uh, verses 13 to 22. Genesis chapter 6, 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. So Noah's faith is um, shown in the fact that he did actually believe the words of God. And in doing all these things, every little detail that God had required of him, he carried it out. So this is, this is an example of the believer hearing the word of God and having faith that it will come to pass. But it's also true of unbelievers that even if they are um, 
told plainly what's going to happen or what the truth is that they still won't believe it. Um, Christ does this in Luke, Luke chapter 22. Verses 66 to 71. This is Luke 22, verse 66. And when it was day, the council of elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. So they're wanting him to say, If you are the Christ, tell us. And he does in verse um, 70, but they still do not believe. He knows this is the case in 67. He knows the heart of the unrepentant. He knows who he has chosen. And that um, no matter what the word, what words are preached to them, it's not met with the work of the Holy Spirit. They, um, they will not believe. And it's not only, this doesn't only happen in words. It also happens in actions. Um, our most profound example of this in Scripture is um, Israel as they are um, being led out of Egypt. We know that many of those that are of the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel, did not believe. Um, we find this described in Psalm 106. Psalm 106, verses 6 to 15. So Psalm 106, verse 6. We have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and dried it and dried up, and he led them through the deeps as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease among them. So there in verse 12, it says, Then they believed his words, but that was only after the actual um, events took place that they saw with their eyes. But did they truly believe in God? Did they truly believe in their word? his word? No. And verse 13, they quickly forgot his words, and they did not wait for his counsel. So this is this temporary belief. Um, many 
people witness with the miracles of Christ, uh, the breaking of the bread, but ultimately it did not lead to true belief, even though not only were the words spoken to them and the action was taken, had taken place before their eyes, um, that the words were fulfilled, but again they met those words with unbelief. Um, so we know that it's not, it's never an issue of the words themselves, or if if only I saw a miracle I would believe, or something like that. Um, it's a it's a matter of is the heart regenerated to believe these words, and this is why um, Habakkuk in one five challenges them and says you wouldn't believe this even if it were told to you right before he's going to tell them knowing their condition um, of their heart. Um, we see some examples of this uh, both in the New and the Old Testament. First, we'll go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 37 to 41. John twelve thirty seven. But though he had performed so, so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fill the, fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he hardened their heart, so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. So again, we have the Testament of Isaiah um, quoted here in the book of John to further explain that even though these signs were before them, he performed the signs before them, they did not believe because they cannot believe. Um, their eyes have been blinded from the truth. Um, and then in the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua gives the people a similar challenge or a similar uh, answer that uh, Habakkuk gives in verse 5. So Joshua chapter 24, verses 22 to 24. Joshua 24, verse 22. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. Yes, thank you. Yes, I meant to start at verse 19. Uh, starting again, Joshua 24, verse 19. 
Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression or your sin. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So in, in verse 19, this is the phrase um, that Joshua uses, you will not be able to serve the Lord. So again, he's explaining to the people that they may say with their words they want to um, worship the Lord, but they will not be able to. And Joshua understands this, being a redeemed man himself, um, the condition that's required uh, to believe. And then Habakkuk 1.5 is quoted in the New Testament, um, further explaining this uh, doctrine that God must change the heart to believe in. It is, um, it is a judgment upon those who it has not been granted. That's seen in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 to 41. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed so that the thing spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So this, this verse that we're studying, um, the apostle uses to further explain, again, this concept that you do not want... Um, to be of a hard heart towards the word of God. You need to have faith. You need to believe that what God speaks, he will bring about. But continuing in Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 6. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth, to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. So yes, God is raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are coming to power, not beyond God's control, though they are, as God describes them, a fierce and impetuous people. These are wicked people. Um, this kind of sovereignty that God displays is not um, or happens frequently in the um, in the Old Testament. We see many examples of these uh, wicked people, and we know or these wicked people coming to power. And we know this will be the case in our own time as well. That that these things come a play, come about, but we should not fret or have any fear as if God isn't not in control. Some some other examples of that are in is in Judges uh, chapter 9. 
Judges chapter 9, verses 22 to 24, Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Now Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem, and the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, so that the violence done to the seventy sons of Jerubbabel might come and their blood might be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brother, brothers. So we see here that this um, turn of events, that Abimelech and the men of Shechem have now turned against one another, is brought about by the sovereignty of God. Using these wicked men to carry out a purpose and then also will punish those same men. Um, and this is all uh, brought about by God. As we see in verse 22, Then God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. Further, we see this in Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, verses 5 to 7. This is in reference to Assyria. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission against it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. So the nation of Assyria that destroyed the northern tribe, it, God describes this nation as the staff in, who, in whose hands is my indignation. So God is using these people to carry out his will and his punishment against the northern tribe the tribe of Israel, from turning away from his commandments. So again, these things are not um, as if God is out of control, but he's using these um, people, but it's not as if they also are knowing that they're doing the will of God. They're in fact very wicked, um, as it says in verse 7, yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart. Um, but all they're worried about is the fleshly, worldly desire to destroy and to conquer peoples. God is also in control of the borders, the nations, um, how these things take place. Uh, we see this in Proverbs chapter 21. Verse 1, Proverbs 21, 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So as the rulers of these nations are carrying out their plans to either go to war or to not, or to conquer different lands, that the Lord is in control. The heart of the, heart of the king is in full control of the Lord. There is no um, will that the king has outside of the Lord's control. 
Um, also in Acts 17, we see the same concept. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 28, with the uh, focus on verses 24 to 26. So Acts 17, 22. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breathe all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. So God, or excuse me, Paul is describing how God, uh, as the creator of the world, it's, it's natural. If he created man, then he's created the nations. He created the boundaries of their habitations. There's um, a direct line from the ultimate creation to the sovereignty of God to how um, all the peoples interact together with one another, particularly in this case, war and the conquering of other nations. Um, this is further evidence that when a nation comes to power, um, it's not beyond uh, the will of God. This is the will of God, and we should read these things and understand these things, knowing that all things happen for His glory. So, returning back to Habakkuk. We have Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 7. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. So here, um, Habakkuk is describing one of the, the big sins or the major sins that the uh, people are carrying out is the fact that their justice is only with um, themselves. There is, they are devoid of the word of God in how they carry out justice. So we know that the word of God or the law of God or the statutes of God are perfect. So if any law of man is contradicting a law of God then we know that it is evil um, at its core. Uh, some evidence to expound on this, um, we'll turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 
chapter 21. Proverbs 21, verse 2. It says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So even though a man may think his path is straight or his way is right, it has to be tested by God. God knows um, what is right and what is righteous. And if, if it's measured up to um, the Lord's standards, we know if, it is, if that man's way is truly right or only right in his own eyes and is truly wicked. Um, further, in Psalm 19, turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 to 14. On the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of, a honey, of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So here it explicitly says the law of the Lord is perfect. There is no way to get around this. We know that in our hearts of our redeemed hearts, knowing the word of God, that it is perfect. And this, that's how we must um, live our lives. So one of the great sins that many nations have is that perversion of what God calls true. Um, we see it in our own in our own worlds as the laws have changed to accept things that are perverted according to God's righteous judgment. And this is actually um, best explained in our book here in verse 4, Habakkuk 1.4. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. So when the law is ignored, justice is never upheld. It's as simple as that. If we deviate from the law of God, then it's not true justice. And that's what the people are condemned um, with here in verse 7, or the, the uh, Chaldeans are condemned with. Um, moving on, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Their horses are swifter than leopards, and keener than wolves in the evening. 
Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. So in verses 8 to 10, the power and the um, temperament of the Chaldeans is described here. So they have many strong horsemen and that they, um, they love violence. They love bloodshed in this way. Um, some of the other ways that they were described in the previous verses, in verse 6, fierce and impetuous people. Um, they are dreaded. They are feared. So some, the historical recounts of what they actually did, uh, we can turn to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36 verses 17 to 20. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. So here this violence that's described in Habakkuk is um, further described uh, specifically in verses like Second Chronicles thirty six seventeen, um, where they slew the young men, they had no compassion on the virgin or the old man or the infirm, um, complete and utter destruction and desolation. Um, some another example is in Second Kings to describe their conquering. Second Kings, chapter twenty five. Second Kings chapter 25, verses 4 to 7. Then the city was broken into, and all the men of war fled by night by way of the gate between the two walls besides, beside the king's garden, though the Chaldeans were all around the city, and they went by way of the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. Again, in Second Kings 25, verse 7, that, that's describing their violence and how, how uh, bloodthirsty that they were 
um, in this conquering. Slaughtering the sons of the king before the king's eyes, before they blinded him. Um, so these kinds of punishments, uh, physical punishments for sin, uh, isn't just an Old Testament expectation, I guess you will, or possibility. Um, we see this in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Now on the same occasion there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that the Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So Christ is drawing examples to these, or drawing comparisons um, to these different events, saying that these kinds of punishments may come upon you um, if you continue in these sins. You must repent. Um, not that the righteous will always be uh, spared from the sword in this life, but understanding that the, the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Judah was caused by their sin. We know, we know that that's the case. Um, from the covenants that God had handed down. So finishing here, um, our paragraph, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 11. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. So here, God makes sure to tell the people that the Chaldeans, though they will destroy you, and that they are a very strong uh, people that God himself has raised up to carry out this destruction, they will be held guilty. Um, we read Isaiah 10 earlier. We will return and read more of the chapter. Isaiah 10, verse 5. This is in relation to Assyria, but it's the same, the same concept here. Isaiah chapter 10, verse five, verses 5 to 19. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godless nation and commission it against the people of my fury, to capture booty and to seize plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart. But rather it is its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. For it says, Are not my princes all kings? Is not Kalno like Parchemish, or Hamath like Arpad, or Samaria like Damascus? As my hand has reached to the kingdoms of the idols, whose graven images were greater than those of Jerusalem and Samaria, shall I not do to Jerusalem and her images? just as I have done to Samaria and her idols. 
So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. For he has said, By the power of my hand and by my wisdom I did this, for I have understanding, and I have removed the boundaries of the peoples and plundered their treasures. And like a mighty man I brought down their inhabitants. And my hand reached to the reach to the riches of the peoples, like a nest. And as one gathers abandoned eggs, I gathered all the earth. And there was not one that flapped its wing, or opened its beak, or chirped. Is the axe to boast itself over the one who chops with it? Is the saw to exalt itself over the one who wields it? That would be like a club wielding those who lift it, or like a rod lifting him who is not wood. Therefore the Lord... The God of hosts will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors, and under his glory a fire will be kindled like a burning flame, and the light of Israel will become a fire and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and his briars in a single day. And he will destroy the glory of his forest and of his fruitful garden, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away, and the rest of the trees of his forest will be so small in number that a child could write them down. So God, again, speaks in verse 5 of how Assyria is his staff and how he's carrying out his indignation against godless nations. But it's not apart from Assyria's own wickedness and how they carry about these events and that God will judge them as well. As he describes the Assyria is just an axe. It's just a saw. It's just an instrument. It's just a tool for God to use to carry out His will. Um, and so this axe and the saw, it's nothing. It's nothing compared um, in the eyes of God. And it has its own sins, its own wickedness, and it will be destroyed as well. Um, that's in verse is 16 to 19. Um how God will send a wasting disease among his stout warriors. So this will be the same that he's threatening here in Habakkuk to, um, to the Chaldeans. A further example of this is um, Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 to 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will utterly destroy them, and make them a horror and a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of joy, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones, and the light of the lamp. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then 
it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it an everlasting desolation. I will bring upon that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. So here in verse 12, it talks about that punishment that Babylon will carry out. It further explains what Habakkuk is preaching here, that um, they will be held guilty. They have sinned, they have many sins, many idols, and many um, violent, violent acts, and they will be punished um, in due time, which is 70 years. Further in Habakkuk 1.11, the final phrase, he, he's addressing... They will be held guilty for this sin, they whose strength is their God. So they have made an idol of their earthly power, their material possessions, what they um, possess, and they've taken a false hope in this. And this is very common in Scripture. Um, we know that without God, no matter what we have, no matter how many good things uh, on the earth we have, without God, it's, it'll be nothing. It'll be worthless. Um, Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. So it, it makes no difference whether the watchman is awake or asleep if it's not in God's will to protect that city. In the same way, it doesn't make any difference whether the nation has the strongest army in the world. If, if God is not there, if it's not God's will to protect them and keep them in power, they will fall. So that, that is the vanity of having um, the strength of, the, of your, or your hope set up in your own strength apart from God. Um, Isaiah 31.1 also speaks of this. Um, and Isaiah is specifically addressing this same um, hope that the Chaldeans had, this in their strength of their army. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So again, the chariots, the horses, they are very strong. But if devoid of God, they will be brought down. We know Egypt was destroyed just as Syria was destroyed, just as Babylon was destroyed. Um, the hope cannot be set up or held up in earthly things or earthly power, but it must be in God. And it's not only strength in, uh, that people can make their gods. It could be themselves. It could be um, money. It could be many other things. Um, some examples of these other idols that people set up for themselves and they put their hope in. Uh, we have Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. 
verses 29 to 33. We'll start at 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So here Nebuchadnezzar had made his idol himself, his own might, the city that he has built. And God rebukes him immediately for this pride, immediately for this idol he had set up before himself and struck him down um, to be like cattle. Um, in the New Testament as well, there's uh, many examples of how uh, people will put wealth as their idol. Um, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21, Christ himself uh, addresses this sin um, of having one's hope in the strength of their wealth. That is their God. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware, and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So this, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Storing up treasure for oneself is the same as having them, their hope in, in the military might or something of that nature that devoid of God, it is nothing. And when God rebukes him, he calls him a fool. It is foolish to have your hope in anything other than God. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And then um, this is further explained in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Luke 16, 13. 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So it is impossible to have uh, to know the true God and to also worship wealth. There is no such thing as two idols. Um, you cannot truly carry this out in your life just as the strength of if you believe in your military might's going to deliver you, then you have denied God. And then finally, uh, our final example of this will be back in Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 16. Speaking of the Chaldeans. Therefore they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net because through these things their catch is large and their food is plentiful. So again, they have this um, idolatry set up in their minds that they have this fish, well, the fishing net must have given it to them and um, have burned even incense to their fishing net and offer a sacrifice to their fishing net. Um, and this is the foolishness of the unbeliever knowing that, that they believe that they themselves have delivered themselves, whether that be the strength of their military or their fishing net or any other means in which they are provided for. Um, they, they spurn God, and this is the nature of idolatry. Anything that deviates from giving God all the glory to anything that we have, both good and bad, is idolatry. Amen.